Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 182. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is Mr. John Nicholson. John, you got your hat on. You're looking sharp as always. Yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling a little sharp, but I'm also trying to figure out how to get um, the stains from a charred couch out of my driveway and get the general smell of lighter fluid out of the air. So. <laughs> as I as I struggle to understand where you're going, <laughs> did you not watch the, the the bouncy ball game last night? Come on, man, that was a hell of a game. You got to celebrate. Afterwards. Oh, sports ball. That's right. I forgot all there about we that. Go. <laughs> did the team win? Yeah, the team won. Awesome. Go, Bears. Go team. I love it. Yeah. If it's not the New York Giants, I, I try not to pay attention. But hey, congratulations, team of uh, sports. <laughs> is that why you're wearing your hat or is that? No, it's, I didn't feel like combing my hair today. So <laughs> for, for everyone who's still doing a lot of Zoom calls, this is really the secret. Like just get a get a clever hat and you don't actually have to comb your hair. Smart man. Nice. Well, John, uh, last episode, we had our good friend Mike on. We were talking about um, ransomware, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, That was a great conversation. It's amazing how dark the world can be sometimes when it comes to things like ransomware. That was really, really interesting. But um, it it begs the question of what VMware is doing uh, in general for disaster recovery. So we were lucky enough to get head of product marketing for DR as a service at VMware, uh, Mr. Mark Schwang. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Pete, John, excited to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Yeah, as you know, we were we were talking earlier, but um, yeah, ransomware is interesting, and I know for I'm an old SRM guy, so like I'm certainly familiar. We, we've been talking about disaster recovery at VMware forever, but uh, I know things change, and I know there's a lot going on with the acquisition of Datrium and uh, the way people handle disaster recovery, even some of the threats. And so I wanted to continue that conversation, but maybe take it to a bigger level. Like, what is the big picture for VMware as it pertains to disaster recovery? Yeah. Uh- it's not like disaster recovery is something new. You know, you you, you brought it up, Pete. Uh, SRM has been out in the market now for like over uh, ten years, I think. Yeah. And uh, you know, as a company, uh, VMware has been working to help its customers to, to to solve that need. But but I think what's happening is that the nature of the threats is changing, and there's also uh, within the last few years, for sure just new opportunities to make DR easier, less complex, you know, less expensive because you're able to leverage the public cloud. And and so that's why there's all this talk and all these companies that are now starting to adopt DR as a service. So you mentioned that some of the, there's some cost benefits to leveraging public cloud. How is this different than previous shared DR infrastructure or, you know, get a colo and put some gear? What, what does that economics look that, how is that different? Yeah. So I, I break down the cost savings in a couple of buckets, right? Uh, one, when you're talking DR as a service now, um, any CapEx and OpEx that used to go into, uh, you, you either purchased or rented the physical facilities, right? Even in colo, you were still renting. And then secondly, you know, that was just space. 
then you still had all of the time effort that it took to keep that equipment up to date, make sure that it was compatible with your production site. I mean, there's a ton of labor that goes into that as well. Uh, Not to mention power, cooling, support contracts, you know, the whole nine yards. Well, and I guess one challenge that I I saw we always had is we might like think of disaster recovery, you know, down here on the Gulf Coast, like we have a hurricane, okay, we're going to buy a DR site, we're going to spin it up, we're going to pull the hardware, but everybody forgets about like you say, all the day two costs. And one thing that I always thought was funny is we would think about buying that second copy of everything initially, but then as you went and did moves, ads and changes, and you added more stuff to production, you kind of forget that to do DR right, you're keeping a perpetual 2x multiplier on everything you buy. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like if, if you forget about that cost and you don't make that investment in the maintenance and maintain the compatibility and testing it, yeah, then that generates another problem I see, which is like a lot of teams are just not confident that even with the work they put in, that that DR plan is going to work you know, when you need it to. So, you know, with, with DR as a service on, on VMware cloud, right. Uh, we, we fundamentally kind of uh, solve that problem where it's like, look, let, let us handle that so that you, Mr. Customer, you know, one less thing on your plate to worry about. Oh yeah. I used to work in a, uh, in the storage world. And, uh, that was definitely one of those things when it came to DR, that was always a topic of conversation. People would be like, so I have to have a whole nother data center with duplicate, you know, hardware. And, you know, of course people would try their best to, to shrink the footprint on the DR side. But at the end of the day, if you need to fail over there, you're going to need all of the compute and uh, all the storage that, that that's required to bring up your entire site. And sometimes that's a that's a tricky game. It's a it's an expensive game if you do it right, and it's a very risky game if you try to cut corners. Yeah, and, and I would say that phenomenon or that 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 aspect has become even more challenging um, in the last twelve months. Uh, obviously, we're all still uh, living under the uh, umbrella of the the pandemic, but but because so much of our customer partner employee interactions have gone digital since we're all working at home. (laughs) Um, What businesses are seeing is that IT services and data that before they may say, may have said, you know what, that really wasn't business critical. I I probably didn't need the DR protection. Well, now in the pandemic accelerated digital transformation that's occurred, now they're like, oh my goodness, before maybe I could protect, I'm making up a number, you know, 10% of my services. Now I got to protect like 20, 30, 40% of my services. So it makes the cost of operating and maintaining that secondary data center uh, even greater now. Well, and thinking about like one industry in particular where that's really been true is looking at retail, uh, the grocery industry. Before, what what did you have to have 100% bulletproof? Payment processing. If you can't run credit cards, you're dead in the water. But, you know, grocery pickup, grocery delivery, that was, you know, that wasn't even fries with the burger. That was like, uh, okay, we, do we have enough mustard packets or mayonnaise packets? Do that many people really like mayonnaise? Who knows? But now it's it's become kind of it's it's the whole happy meal. Like it's the whole situation to where if if a gro- if one of the local grocery stores if they can't do a delivery or they can't do pickup, I've gotten so spoiled, and we've made this this lasting move even past once we you know come out of hiding from Corona. Um, there's this lasting move to, to digital purchasing there that if, you know, if my local grocery store can't deliver, I'm going to go to the next one who can. So this is, it's, it's a much more business critical function. And I think it's going to endure past the, the short term, uh, you know, reality. 
Oh yeah, I agree. The bar has been raised. You know, uh, this was a this has been a challenging year for a lot of pu- a lot of people. But I also think in technology, a lot of companies really stood up. They really showed how technology can really change our lives in in times like this. And I, and so yeah, I think a lot of people got promoted during this time. You know, and got better jobs. And I think some other people might have been fired if they couldn't handle it. But <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that doesn't have a good DR plan when the way of doing business changes as drastically as it did with something like Corona. Yep, yep. And and, and you know, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, every company will, will make an evaluation of for any particular service, whether it makes more sense for them to build it themselves or to, to buy something, or frankly, now with public cloud, right? Let, let's call it rent it, right? So you can build it, you can buy it, or you can rent it. And if you really think about the DR use case, it is that ultimate rentable service um, because of how often you use it, right? So it, it, it fits the trends. And uh, it's also a great way to get comfortable with the public cloud for organizations that are still earlier in that journey. You get used to it, you test it out. And then we believe that as you gain more confidence in storing business critical data and services up on the public cloud, you're going to embrace it more and more. It's it's a valid point. If you're we're you're already going to end up putting some services in a public cloud, it may you know depend on which cloud it be. But if you're already going to end up with workloads there, you might as well operationalize DR there uh, first, so you don't have to deal with having two separate DR processes and plans later. Yep, yep. And because uh, all three of us, you know, we we've uh, seen the journey from 10, 15 years ago with virtualization. Uh, what's really kind of uh, resonated with me is that. Uh, in the same way that test dev was the use case that got people comfortable with virtualization, I believe that DR is the use case that gets people comfortable with the hybrid cloud. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably right. But on the note of test, are there test capabilities for DR? Do I get the warm fuzzies that I did with SRM where I could say, let me do a full-on test and make sure that my disaster plan is going to work if I need it? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I would say that is so core to the DR use case. And the uh, product team, the engineering team has paid a ton of attention into that particular workflow as part of VMware Cloud DR. Um, it's got the things that you would already naturally expect, such as being able to make sure you stand up a sandbox type environment so that you're not impacting anything that uh, is running in production. Um, but I would say there's uh, two unique things that the, the, the team has done. Um, one, even before you hit that test button, they've built in uh, continuous DR health checks that just run every 30 minutes. So even before you do a formal test, we're almost like running mini tests constantly in the background. So if we detect any dependencies that don't seem to be right, we're going to send you that alert right away. Okay. So replication, things like that, or replication, if, you know, connectivity to your core V centers, you know, happen to be down. If um, something changes where someone's group or some type of of configuration drift. Exactly. You, you know, someone's mucked around on the production side that and done something they shouldn't that that's going to impact the dr plan and how you define protection groups or your run book right we're going to identify those things and tell you before you even go to a formal test like i like testing of dr because otherwise i I feel like you always have what i call schrodinger dr 
Like it might work, it might not. Until someone runs a test, who knows? Like there's an observability problem with any type of disaster recovery or continuity of the until you test it more more you know common or you can get those tests as close to real time as possible, your your state of unknown just gets worse. Absolutely, absolutely. And and now that you're using the public cloud for its failover capacity, we enable that hundred percent on demand mode where you're spinning up the VMC host only during a testing event. So you're only paying for those hours or, or days or you know when you're doing actual failover. So that, 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 that's when the customer chooses to run a VMware Cloud DR in that uh, 100% on demand. Ah, okay. So they just do a little cloud bursting, get, get a full environment spun up on demand, and then when everything works, they just go back down so you're not paying for it the whole time? That's exactly it. Yep, yep. Now, just because I'm kind of a product geek at heart, right, since we're on the topic of testing, that the, the last bit that I, I thought has just been so cool with this product is that, you know, we, we store all the replicated copies on cloud efficient, you know, object storage, right? So that, that, that's where you get a lot of the cost benefits uh, yeah. um, in steady state. But when you're doing a test, right, our uh, file system allows you to mount those copies and show it as a NFS mount that can be mounted directly into an SCDC host. So when you're testing, you're not having to wait for that full rehydration of data from the object storage to the VMC primary storage. Ah, and okay. so that is another way that we make testing a whole lot easier and uh, uh, simple and fast. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So you, when you're testing, there's no really, there's no need to really hydrate it into different storage. You're just trying to see that it connects, your networking's working, things can stand up, you know, it's going to be there. Well, yeah. If you're booting, if you're just booting a virtual machine, I mean, Windows, it's like 300 megabytes is all it needs to be touched. If you've got a terabyte database, there's no point in rehydrating that, pulling it out of the object store, uh, you know, running the decompression, running the, you know, reversing the dedupe, moving it over the network, moving it, you know, into yeah. another cluster, just if you're going to run it for five minutes and throw it away, like that's a massive waste of time and resources. So yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm just really excited about how we've uh, tried to identify all the things that make it all the excuses, all the obstacles, roadblocks, whatever we want to call them yeah. that keep people from testing often. Cause I, I, I go back to your point earlier, Pete, um, you gotta test often. There, there's no substitute for testing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, heck, when I used to manage SRM uh, as a customer, I just remember that. Like, you, you never know what's going to change. Sometimes, you know, it could be an administrator making changes, but sometimes things just break. Your replication breaks, and if you don't know about it, you know, <laughs> it's a bad day. So you, you're constantly testing to make sure that it works. But yeah, I like to. I love the fact that you guys not only give you the ability to test, but that you also, you know, are checking to make sure that these common issues are, are the way they should be, whether it's replication, whether it's configuration for networking, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, the one last thing that we would hear often that's associated with tests is, is that last step, um, meaning that different companies may have different policies to say, hey, uh, it's great that you tell me we've got a DR plan, but you've got to prove it because there's these internal audit requirements where we're going to come and check on you every <laughs> whatever, you know, three months, six months, nine months. And uh, I hear stories about, uh, uh, you know, uh, IT admins in which that's like their, their least favorite thing to do. It's like, oh, I 
I got an audit coming up on my DR plan. Okay. So well, really built into VMware Cloud DR, the ability to easily generate those audit reports uh, showing you, hey, I've got this plan in place. Hey, I tested it on this day, this day, this day. Here's the output report. Hey, we did a failover. Here's all the actions that happen, right? Not rocket science, but boy, I tell you, is it a time saver? You know, huge, huge time saver. Oh, yeah. And as an administrator, it's a requirement to be able to prove that you can do that, <laughs> especially if you're a host, right? And, and you're, you have customers, you need to be able to guarantee that you can protect their environments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Telling them, trust me, right, just isn't good <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, and I also remember there's starting to become some more regulatory overhead in that space. I want to say GDPR had some specific availability requirements that were starting to creep in. And so it's one thing just to make sure you've got data durability, but the actual ability to to prove minimal availability of access to things is starting to creep into the compliance. And what is kind of the fun thing with technology is compliance um, can only run so far ahead of what is technically possible. Uh, but as we build out these capabilities, the requirements of the ability to, to keep services online is only going to get more stringent. So um, it makes, makes sense that things we might've been okay with longer outages on before are just no longer going to be possible to have that tolerance or slack. Uh, that, that's where it ties back into this whole um, uh, kind of notion of these IT services are now business critical. Um, it, 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 can it can be because compliance reasons would prevent you from operating if you don't meet these you know, resiliency requirement or just more core to the fact, right? Uh, going back to your um, online uh, shopping and ordering and pickup example, it's just now not, no. it's no longer a nice to have. It is core. Well, and kind of extending that also, the dependencies of even internal employees have gotten worse. My wife's a physician and she was probably one of the last residents still trained on how to do paper orders. And back in the day when the system would go down, I mean, it went down enough and they were just used to paper because they've been trained on it. But now when you have an EMR outage, I mean, it's terrifying. No one, you, you've got entire classes of residents who no longer know how to process orders on paper. I mean, in theory, there's procedures, but part of the challenge is the, the better your availability gets, the more everyone depends on whatever your service is. It, I mean, it, when email it becomes a new baseline. Yeah, people didn't freak out about it. Now, like, you know, if email goes, if if email goes down or something goes down, you know, for an hour, people lose their mind. Like if Slack goes down, people get really confused and angry. And I'm like, we didn't use Slack three years ago. Like what's wrong with you people? But no, it's. it's... <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why I'm seeing, right. Uh, since we um, uh, launched VMware cloud DR uh, top three use cases that I'm seeing there are one uh, I call it modernize. So a company does have some sort of DR plan, but but they're just not happy with it. Be too complex, too expensive, or not reliable. So they're like, look, I need something better. Okay, yep. so that's what I've been calling modernize. Second use case I've been calling optimize, which is I've got a DR plan. It's working for you know this X set of applications, but I got to protect more apps and services now, and I don't necessarily want to do all of it my current way. I want to find ways to have more flexibility. I want to optimize the cost. Maybe the SLA requirements are a little bit different. So they're they're not they're, they're looking to expand, but they're looking to do it in a different way. Yeah, that makes sense. And then the third one that has just been coming up across the board, um, accelerating their ability to recover from a ransomware attack. 
So um, I know you, you, you talked to Mike uh, last week about it, so I won't go too much, but I tell you, that comes up all the time. Oh, yeah. That's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, so you guys have been releasing a lot of enhancements ever since I've known about the service. Uh, I'm wondering, like, what's new lately? Because I know you guys are constantly making enhancements to the service. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the team's just been on, on, on a tear. Um, that, that's what I love about the kind of startup mentality where it's like, let's, let's move fast. Let's make sure we're continuing to deliver value to customers. Um, over the last, uh, about a month or so, um, couple of key things that I'm super excited to share about one, when we first started, we only, uh, were able to protect, uh, on-premises, these sphere workloads. And now we're able to protect workloads that are already running on VMware Cloud on AWS. So think about that as like cloud to cloud protection. Mm, okay. um, second, uh, we've got a, a uh, option that we call pilot light. And the idea there is instead of going 100% on demand, you can run a small footprint, right? That allows you to get faster uh, recovery times. Okay. It's not your full footprint for the full recovery, right? You're running a small footprint. And up until now, uh, up until recently, uh, the footprint had to be at least three nodes. And we now have the ability for someone to start with a two node pilot light cluster. And that gives you that lower cost entry point for customers that want that faster recovery time. Um, what, what are people putting on the on the pilot? Like, what's an example of, because if I've got, uh, you know, 20 nodes, how does the two node help me? Yeah, great question. So it helps you in a couple of ways. One, if you went fully on demand, you'd have to wait for the initial set of hosts to actually fire up, okay? And, and that's the just natural. The fire up and the, the low The vCenter, the, the, the clusters being provisioned. It's a normal part of VMware Cloud on AWS when you're fully on demand. So the, the other side of that also, Pete, from a pilot light perspective, is there some like core services like DNS, domain controller authentication, yep. uh, time, if you have custom NTP servers, things like that, that before you go build everything else, they're kind of your your ground core rock services. And having a couple of those pre-staged, I mean, generally you can hide a lot of that on one or two hosts pretty easily. And so it kind of is a nice to have to have um, some of those initial services because that'll speed up the rest of the recovery process. Okay, uh, so then we're just adding it. clusters and, and, and hydrating data onto the new hosts. Yeah, Okay. that's exactly it. There, and and, and uh, let's go back to the example you brought up, right? Hey, my full recovery takes 20 nodes. You're saying just start off with two nodes. Well, how exactly does that work? And operationally, what we recommend to customers is, you know, beyond running the core infrastructure services, like what uh, John had mentioned, uh, AD, domain controllers, uh, DNS, et cetera. Um, as part of your recovery plan, what you would say is, what what's the ten percent right? Uh, twenty uh, uh, two out of twenty. What's the ten percent of services that I absolutely must have the faster RTOs? And for the rest of the ninety percent, I'm okay waiting a little bit longer for that additional capacity to spin up. So that's where it's really really nice that you can balance and and kind of pick and choose and have that flexibility. That's really like smart. think if I'm an airline, I might want. Um, 
on that 10% of what passenger manifests because I can't take off without them. I might want pilot schedule, like crew scheduling. There's some critical things. Um, making sure we know that Pete prefers uh, vegan dinners on his international flights. You know, that's <laughs> something that maybe we, that gets dropped. Uh, yeah, yeah. For, for the meal preferences, maybe it's okay that it doesn't, you know, it, it takes six hours to recover. But on that pilot manifest example, man, I want that thing up within an hour or less, right? As fast as possible. Okay. I'm going to get some angry emails from some airlines being like, okay, that's that's all Sabre's fault. Leave us alone. But no, How it's- dare uh, you? Yes, you will. <laughs> looking forward to that, guys. <laughs> yeah. So su super excited about the Tuno pilot light because there's some environments where it's like, look, I want to smart start a little smaller. But for the really large environments, um, a new enhancement is our ability to do federated management of multiple instances of, of our file system. So now you can support larger environments, but still be able to manage that through a single management plane. Right. You don't have to fire up multiple management planes in order to support our multiple instances. And just the last one that I'll share, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty proud of the fact that when we first launched back in October, we had supported nine regions worldwide. And, and that was already pretty darn good. But since then, we've now uh, increased so that we can support 16 regions worldwide, uh, very much uh, mirroring the uh, regions that are available for VMware Cloud on AWS in general. Oh, nice. Okay. The, the pace of regions being added to the you know the public cloud and our support of it is, is just been really impressive. Um, it's very clear that this isn't some flash in a pan. This isn't some kind of you know half gesture. The commitment to adding all of these regions so quickly just shows you know the, the benefits I guess using public cloud, but also the level of commitment on the service. For sure. For sure, you know, um, we were so aggressive in adding regions because uh, after we launched in October, we would get these, you know, inquiries from customers and 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 partners and sales teams saying we 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 really are interested in the service. You know, when are you going to support it in Sao Paulo? When are you going to support it in Stockholm? When are you going to support it in Seoul? Uh, we didn't have that in our initial list. But just in response to that customer demand, we're like, okay, we got to prioritize yeah. this high and try to get coverage as quick as we can. Well, it's, it's interesting because I remember when all these data sovereignty laws started getting passed that mandated, hey, you know, you can have a second copy of data, but it can't leave the country. <laughs> I remember thinking, man, that's going to be rough on public cloud. And then kind of the response has been, okay, we'll just spin up instances in every country, in every <laughs> yeah. region. Or, or, it's an easy you know, answer. It's uh. <laughs> It, it, a lot of people who've been concerned about cloud services, sometimes it comes from not necessarily nationalization, but data nationalization mandates. Um, and it's been interesting watching just, you know, the market react and be able to, hey, whatever your concern is, we can we can address it. Yeah. And imagine if you are like, you know, some mid-market customer or, or, or heck, you, you could even be a pretty large company. But imagine the investment that would be needed in order to get coverage if you're a multinational in all these regions, all these different places. And essentially now, back again to, to leveraging cloud economics, you're taking advantage of investments from these you know, cloud providers that really enables you to do stuff and spin things up much, much faster than you could have if you were just trying to do this on your own. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. I've got friends who, who do that, and there's nothing more fun in their job than 
you know, some executive walking in and be like, hey, we signed a deal. Uh, can we have a rack in Singapore in a week? And they're just like, no, that's not how this works. That's not how anything works. Like, <laughs> Exactly. What did exactly. sales promise? What did sales <laughs> promise? Yeah. And, and, and so th- that, that last point about how quickly you could get something spun up, um, that is resonating. Um, we have seen cases in which customers, right, if they, if they have done some of the pre-planning already, you know, but with DR as a service, you could be DR ready in as little as five days. Hmm. So the speed of deployment, you know, when your, your executive walks into your office or, or, or your Zoom call or, or, or your Slack nowadays, and it's like, oh, we got this major emergency. You know, we, we got to show that we have a DR plan for X, Y, and Z. How quickly can you do it? DR as a service with VMware Cloud DR, right? You're able to get that now even faster than if you were trying to implement it on-premises with Site Recovery Manager. Oh, yeah, for sure. Let alone, forget about that. I mean, just waiting for the hardware to arrive alone would take longer than it would be to getting the PO, getting the hardware, getting the hardware configured, and then building your DR plan. Yeah, this is a lot longer than five days. It it is absolutely, you know, a, a game changer. Yeah, for sure. I like it. All right. Yeah. Well, um, you've you know I've read some blogs that actually mark that that you've written, and uh, as well as some other folks over there in the VMware Cloud team. So I'm going to be sure to share those on the show notes of this episode. Uh, any closing thoughts, John or Mark? Well, well, really, it's a great time for businesses to reflect on their resiliency strategy, and perhaps take a new approach to DR. Um, I'm seeing uh, strong interest from large companies and mid-market companies alike because uh, VMware Cloud DR is a cost-effective, easy-to-use option for them now that, that they can really count on. And working with strong partners like AWS, because the failover capacity is on VMware Cloud on AWS, uh, you can see the the commitment from VMware, the commitment from AWS, and uh, just how um, important of a use case we believe uh, this is. So great time to reevaluate, and and we think we've got a pretty compelling offering here. Yeah, I agree. This is a this is a pretty strong solution. All right, I think that's enough to chew on for this episode. Uh, as I mentioned, I will be leaving some links on the show notes of the podcast, so be sure to check those out. A uh, good place to start would be going to cloud.vmware.com. Mark, again, thanks for joining us this week, my friend. Hey, that was super fun, guys. Thanks. That was good. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.vmware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to Mark for joining us again and talking about VMware Cloud DR. We're back next time. But until then, bye for now. Enough of this jibber-jabber.